We have our good friend, Pastor James Wiley. Our young people know him because he spoke at camp the year before last. And uh, he is a good friend. He's the pastor of Church Hill Baptist Church in Augusta, Maine. And what a tremendous preacher of the Word of God. He's also my friend. Brother Wiley, come and preach for us. Boy, it is so very good to be here. I've been enjoying the friendship with your pastor for a few years now. And uh, only now is our first time being able to come here. It's good to have my family with me as well. Usually when I preach out and about, I'm usually by myself. Uh, but it's good to have them with me as well. But I sure do thank you for your hospitality thus far. Just thank you very, very much as well. And I wanted to thank you as well for entrusting your teenagers to teen camp uh, two years ago. God really used that time. God used your young people. I'm looking at some familiar faces, which are uh, older and taller and now, um, but I've just really enjoyed getting to know them there. And I really do believe God moved uh, that week, and I'm very thankful for it. Uh, God really did a huge work in my life to, through that week. Uh, I will tell you that teen camps are not what I do. That is, uh, I was very surprised, very taken back when I was asked. And, um, and I just really pray that God would use it to work in my own life. And he definitely did that. So we're also looking forward to this year as well. I don't know if you all know the theme yet, but uh, I'm going to just share with you, young people, what I want you praying about, what I'm going to preach about. Um, in teen camp this year, and that is this. The heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. And so we're going to be preaching and teaching on the heart um, because the Bible tells us very, very clearly that that's who we are. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Uh, the Bible says, uh, talks about our treasures and uh, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And I really do believe things are heart issues. They're heart issues. That's where it all comes. And so I just ask you to pray about that. Again, the heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. Phew, I thought I said something wrong there. Uh, I'm thinking, preach on the heart. That is in the Bible, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> no, but uh, looking forward to that this year. So young people uh, truly do pray about that. And I, I just, and I don't mean to go on. I, I just want to say as well, and I hope that you, you people appreciate the stand that your pastor is willing to take. And, and I'm not just trying to, you know, he's my friend and piggyback on him. But can I ask you this, parents who might think, oh, that seems kind of harsh or whatever the case may be. Who is the cost in all this? Is your children. I mean, if that doesn't get some grit in your cross, so to speak, then I don't, I don't know what to tell you. If you're not even willing to fight for your own children, then obviously you have no fight in you. Uh, it's amazing. We'll fight over sports teams. We'll fight over Dunkin' Donuts versus Starbucks or Ford versus Chevy. But when it comes down to what's really important, for some reason, we have no fight anymore. Um, so uh, I just really appreciate the stand that your preacher is willing to take. You know, the Bible does not say that it's a sin to be angry. Now, it is a sin to be angry without a cause, the Bible tells us. But we ought to have some righteous anger. We ought to be angry at the devil and his crowd. And so I just appreciate that so very, very much and, and uh, just appreciate that stand. 
I feel led to preach a salvation message this morning. I understand perhaps. I think it's, it's a bad place to assume that you come to a church such as this just to assume that everybody's saved. Um, uh, we, uh, I, I just feel really led for you to go to Matthew chapter number 27. We're going to preach on a man this morning, and I'm going to be cognizant of the time. Um, Whenever I preach somewhere, my wife always gets very, very nervous because she knows how long I typically preach. And um, I preached on the Baptist History Tour. And, of course, many of my people were there. And Brother Faggart said, why don't you take 20 minutes? And so I decided not to preach because I didn't want my people to know that I could preach in 20 minutes. I I just didn't want that. So we went in another direction. But um, I want to preach to you about uh, a, a very, very simple thought about a character in the Word of God that we know, and that is a man by the name of Pilate that we learn about in Scripture. And I really want to preach on this question that he asks the crowd. If you could imagine being in Pilate's position, he has already been warned of his wife not to have no dealings with this man, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. But he, as the leader, he's got a riotous group on his hands and trying to determine what to do with this, uh, with this man called Jesus, which is called the Christ. And so I thought we would go to Matthew chapter number 27, and we're going to answer Pilate's question for him. And as we're doing so, I want you as well to ask this question of yourself. Whether you're saved or lost, I believe this is a question that you need to answer. And your behavior will answer this question. And we're in verse 22, Matthew 27, 22. Here's what the Bible tells us. It says this, Pilate saith unto them. Now, just to give the context, we're familiar that uh, the leaders, uh, the Pharisees and the, the, the scribes and those who've riled up the crowd and they've brought uh, the Lord Jesus unto Pilate to have him put to death. Pilate has interrogated him. He has come to the conclusion that there's no fault in this man. He can find no fault in him. And so he asked this question to this crowd on this day. And think about this question. What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? Just think about that question for a moment. Is that not a question that Pilate has to answer for himself this day? But I understand the context here is what shall I do with him? What do you want me to do physically with the Lord Jesus Christ? And we see the answer that they gave back, and that is this. Let him be crucified. Let him be crucified. We can see the continuance of Pilate. We can go back to historians and and read about Pilate and his life after this particular occasion. But I just really want us to think about this question today. The question that Pilate asks, because I would ask it in this way. And, I, and again, I have no uh, Bible to prove what I'm about to share with you. All I can, all I can think is, is biblical principle as well as just common sense. 
to bring to this conclusion. So what I'm about to tell you, you can take or leave because I can't take you to an actual Bible passage. But what does a person think about in hell? What do you think about? Luke 16 tells us we are in control of our capacities, meaning we can feel, we can hear, we, we can uh, see, we'll be able to see the darkness. Uh, the Bible tells us we have control of our senses while we are there. Which would make me to think that you would still have control of your mental capacity. Obviously, the rich man recognized Lazarus. He recognized Abraham. He had his mental capacities about him. He was able to think. He was able to remember that he had five brothers. Even though he was in torment, he was still able to have his mental capacities about him. So I would submit to you and I would ask you, what, what will a person think about? Those that are in hell today, what are they thinking about? Because I do believe that's part of the torment. Because we certainly can be tormented with our mind. What do you think about? Well, I would submit to you that there's some men in Scripture. I can only imagine what they are thinking about. There's a man named, we don't uh, know his name. We, we can go into Egyptian history and learn that his name was Aminatep II. That was the Pharaoh during the time of Moses. Well, what is he thinking about as he is in hell today? I can only think about that his own words are haunting him to this day. We can go back into the book of Exodus and read his words that say this. Who is the Lord? I know not the Lord. Neither will I let Israel go. I can't help but think to this day for all of these millennia that have gone by those words. Who is the Lord? I know Not the Lord. Seems to me there's a man, a king, who was a king here on earth, that to this day the words that are haunting him today are these words. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Then how about Pilate? What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ. What else would you think about? But the opportunities gone by. What else would you think about than opportunities that slipped out of your grasp? Here, Pilate was, he questioned salvation himself. Here was salvation. If salvation could be manifest, if it could be in human form, which it was, there it was there before him. We can go to Luke chapter number 19 where Jesus, speaking to Zacchaeus, when he comes to his house, he makes this statement. This day is salvation entered into this house. You could say, to what is he referring to? Well, he obviously can be referring to himself. Is he not salvation incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ? That this day salvation has come into this house. So salvation itself, Pilate has spent some time with. Answering, asking questions, hearing the answers. What else would Pilate be thinking about today? Well, why don't we answer his question? What did Pilate do? 
What did Pilate do with Jesus, which is called the Christ? The Bible tells us, I'm just going to show you four things which he tried to do to evade dealing with Christ at all. And you'll find that people in today's day and hour in which we live do the same thing. They do the same four things that Pilate does when they have to answer the question for themselves. What, what will I do with Jesus, which is called the Christ? We're going to take one actually out of each gospel. Each gospel accounts, uh, account, accounts for us this man named Pilate and shows us how he answered his own question. What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called the Christ? Let's start with John's account. Again, we're going to go in reverse order. We're going to go John, Luke, uh, Mark, and Matthew. Keep your bookmark in Matthew 27, because we'll come back to that passage. But you can turn to John's account in chapter 18. The first thing that we see Pilate doing in what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called the Christ, the first thing that he tries to do is he tries to do nothing. The first thing that Pilate wants to do, he tries to do nothing at all. Notice what the Bible tells us in John's Gospel, chapter 18, verse 28. They then led, then led they Jesus from Caiaphas into the hall of judgment, and it was early. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. So they have no charge. He says, What are you charging this man with? They have no charge at all. So then look at what Pilate does. Verse 23 Rightly so, I believe here it is, you're bringing a man for you to try him in which you have no charge, you have no charge at all against this man. So what does Pilate try to do first with the Lord Jesus? Well, the first thing he does is he tries to do nothing. He doesn't want to do anything. Notice what the Bible says in verse 31. Then said Pilate unto them, take ye him and judge him according to your law. You judge him for yourselves. I am going to do nothing. And he tries to do nothing at this time. Isn't that what people try to do today when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ? There's a saying in Maine. I don't know what the saying is here in Ohio. But the saying in Maine when you ask them about where they stand with God is this is their saying. I'm all set. That's, that's their polite way of saying, get out of my face. I'm all set. Well, it is a true statement. You are all set. You're very set in your ways. You're very set. in your, The Bible says, if you believe not, you're condemned already. John chapter number 3. So yes, you are. it is a true statement. But it's a statement that grips you to your heart. And, and I don't know what uh, your reaction is here in the neck of the woods where you live. About those who just don't want to do anything. They just, just want to leave it alone. You know, there's two things I don't talk about, religion and politics and, you know, all that foolishness. And I always say, well, good, I don't want to talk about religion either. I want to talk about the Lord Jesus. That there, there are those, and perhaps you're here today, and I don't know why you're here. 
I don't know whether you come because, well, just we go to church on Sunday or whether you may have been invited to be here today and you're a first time guest here and, and you get to hear a guy from Maine. Can you believe it? But I'd ask you this. Are you trying to do nothing with the Lord Jesus? I believe saved people can answer that question as well. If you're truly saved, what will you do then with Jesus, which is called the Christ? Are you just waiting for the bus to show up? Are you like Charlie Brown waiting by the mailbox, waiting for a Valentine to come? The Bible says we are, we have been given apostleship according to Romans chapter number one. We're not all apostles, but if you're saved today, you do have apostleship according to Romans chapter one and verse five, which apostle just simply means sent with a message. Aren't you sent with a message? A true messenger delivers his message. But we're obviously uh, putting this towards salvation today. What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called the Christ? The first thing he tried to do, he tried to do nothing at all. Nothing. Just wanted to avoid the whole thing. I pray that's not you today. If you're here and you can understand the term Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. You really need to pay attention to the scriptures. You need to pay attention and understand that Jesus Christ is not something that I can just do nothing with. Because the choice to do nothing is a choice to do something. And that is the choice to reject. And so I'd encourage you today, do not follow after this man's footsteps. We can't just go through life and do nothing about it. Because the expression in Maine obviously is, why don't you fix your leaky roof? Well, it's raining today. The next day it's not raining. Why don't you fix your leaky roof? Well, it's not leaking today. You can't just go through life doing nothing. (laughs) You must do something. The Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. Notice the Bible doesn't say yesterday was the day of salvation or tomorrow is the day of salvation. It's the old expression, is it not? Yesterday is history. Tomorrow's a mystery. That's why we have a gift called the present. You have right now. The reason why the Bible says today is the day of salvation is because with all the money that you have, you can't buy back yesterday. And the Bible says we shouldn't think too much of tomorrow because we don't know what a day will bring forth. This past Sunday was a hard day for our church. For 17 years, God had protected me from the, what I call the little casket. And on Mother's Day, one of our little five-year-old boys just You know, just a sweet boy, just a good little boy. He had gotten a cake for his mom for Mother's Day and there was cake left over. So he was walking around giving people pieces of cake for the cake that he had for his mom. And he came up to me and just the cutest little boy, five years old, just no bigger than a minute. Little round glasses, little lisp when he talked. And he was so proud. He came up to me and he said, Pastor... This is the last piece of cake from my mom's Mother's Day cake, and I wanted you to have it. 
24 hours later, we were at the hospital as the doctors in vain were trying to save his life. He tragically drowned that very next day. And that just brought in quite a week for us. And it just, things like that just causes you to pause and think. Death is no respecter of persons. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 30, it gives us four things which we'll never say enough. One is the grave. The grave will never say enough. You can't do nothing with Christ. Nothing is rejection. Nothing, uh, nothing is saying no to that free gift of salvation that Christ offers. Pilate tried to do nothing, but you will notice nothing wasn't good enough for Pilate. It was not. If we turn to Luke's account, Luke 23, we see the next thing that Pilate tried to do with Christ. What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called the Christ? What shall I do? I tried to do nothing, but here he is again. Nothing was not good enough. The second thing he tried to do, he tried to have someone else make the decision. Someone else needs to decide. Nothing isn't good enough. The Jews are not going to be satisfied with that. So the Bible tells us in Luke 23 and verse 6, when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man, referring to Christ, we're a Galilean. Well, some very wonderful words came to Pilate's ears. This was Pilate's out. The Bible says, verse 7, And as soon as he knew that he belonged under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. Doing nothing didn't work. Now, I'm going to try to have someone else make the choice. Someone else will choose. Someone else. And prayerfully, Herod will do what the people are asking for. So then, the responsibility will not be upon myself. We find people do that today. It used to be, when I started in the ministry 17 years ago, that I would hear wives say, well, when you try to get them to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it's whatever my husband wants me to do. I remember uh, a 12-year-old girl who came forward to get saved, and she came with her mother. Came forward and sat over here in the auditorium, and I just kind of knelt down before this 12-year-old girl, and her mother was right there and started asking her. I said, why did you come forward today? She said, I need to get saved. And the mother's like, now, honey, you, you know that you're saved. You know. And she says, no, I don't know that I'm saved. I started to ask the girls, I said, tell me about when you feel you got saved. She looked at her mother. Her mother told me. I asked her another question. She turned and looked at her mother. Her mother told me. And then I just said very respectfully to the mother, I said, ma'am, if you're concerned about your daughter's soul, would you mind leaving? 
That mother could not decide. As you stand here today, the Bible says, if thou shalt confess, if thou, singular. I haven't been to Bible college, but I understand those T words are singular. The Y words are plural. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's speaking of the individual. I'm sure that if every parent could decide, they would choose Christ for every, everyone in their family. Boy, I tell our folks back in Augusta, if baptism could save you, I would stand outside Home Depot with a tanker truck and douse everybody that came out. But it can't. What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called the Christ? Every person individually in this room needs to make that decision for themselves. You can't entrust that decision to anyone else. Because guess what? Whoever it is that you're entrusting that decision to is not going to be held accountable for your sins. They are not going to stand before God for you. You must do so yourself. Pilate tried desperately. He's desperately trying not to make a decision about Christ. He first does nothing. He then tries to get someone else to make the decision. But then thirdly, he does something else. Mark's gospel, Mark 15. What's the third thing? And we are almost done. My eyesight is bad, but I can see that clock. I do appreciate it when the word of God is being preached that people aren't concerned about the time. And I know you're not. I do preach a little longer than others. But I always sometimes when I guest preach, not knowing how long the preacher preaches, I'll say, look, I may preach longer than your preacher does, but I'll make this commitment with you. I won't waste your time. Hey, if somebody's preaching the Bible, I got all day. It is called the Lord's day, not the Lord's hour. So the Lord's day. But I am going to be swift. The third thing which Jesus does, one, he tries to do nothing, which people still do today. They try to do nothing with Christ. Secondly, they try to get someone else to make the decision for them. We can't do that. We must decide for ourselves. We are responsible for our own decisions. Thirdly, Pilate offered a substitute. He offered a substitute. The Bible tells us in Mark 15, verse 7, And there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the multitude, crying aloud, began to desire him to do as he had ever done unto them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. But the chief priest moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. Pilate, I'm sure, picked the most vile prisoner. I'm sure that Barabbas was the most vile prisoner that they had in guard at that time. Certainly, certainly they will choose Christ over this murderer. The Bible says that the chief priests moved the people that they would rather have. They would rather have Barabbas than the Lord Jesus. 
Mankind today, think, from the very, very beginning, from the very first sin, the very first sin amongst mankind, Adam and Eve offered a substitute. The Bible says they made an apron of leaves, which was a substitute for what God required. Right from the very first sin. Man offered their substitute to God. How about Cain and Abel? Once again, here is, do you think Cain brought the rotten vegetables? I believe Cain brought the very best, the very best that the ground was able to produce. But it is not what God had required. So from the very beginning of man, we have man's substitutes to what God requires. Do we not have it today? I'm sure Sydney, Ohio is like Augusta, Maine. You've got the alphabet soup of religion around you. Which, if you think of it, I understand the Bible does to say, well, bless God, the Bible doesn't talk about it. No, it does. You go to the book of James, it talks about pure religion. So to just say, well, the word of God doesn't speak positively about religion. Well, it does in that case, where it talks about taking care of the widows and the orphans, pure religion. But what society thinks of religion is what I'm about to share with you. Think of the difference. We understand the difference, don't we, between religion and relationship? Think. Religion says this. Look how good I am. Look how good I am. Look at what I do. Religion is all about making yourself look better to God, is what religion does. Religion says, look how good I am, where relationship says, look how great He is. That's the difference. Religion is inwardly focused. I'm focusing on myself. Relationship is, look how great he is. Look how great he is. But here Pilate is offering his substitute. Certainly they will choose Christ over this thief and murderer. But no. The lengths people will do, even today, to push aside the Lord Jesus Christ. And offer whatever substitute. Thinking that God is going to be pleased. The largest funeral I ever did. There were hundreds of people that came to our church. And it was a lady. It was the very first lady that Karen and I led to the Lord together. When we first started ministry. She was in her early 60s. But her entire life she was raised Catholic. So I mean this church was full of people who grew up in that faith. And I just preached salvation by grace, through faith. But boy, it made people mad. I mean, here I am in my own church. People are mad. I, I didn't feel like I was ugly. or I go to the back. This woman marches up to me, sticks her finger in my face, and she just starts laying into me. She says, I just want you to know, I have played the church organ. I mean, she just went through these things. 
that she did that she does. I'm honestly sitting there thinking two things. One, boy, that's a pathetic list. That's all you do. But you know, we make it look so grand and glorious. And I'm standing there thinking, okay. But then the second thing I'm thinking is, what am I going to say to this woman? What am I going to say? She just goes on in my face. And all I said was, when she was done, I just looked at her and I said, well, I hope that impresses God someday. Because it doesn't impress me. If it doesn't impress me, how is it going to impress the God of the ages? How will it impress him? And I said, ma'am, that's the price tag of the blood of Christ playing an organ, vacuuming the sanctuary. You think that's what the blood of Christ is worth? Are you kidding We cannot offer a substitute. Right from the very beginning, God has rejected substitutes to the blood of His Son. And so our substitutes won't work any better than Adam and Eve's substitute, Cain and Abel's substitutes, the substitutes throughout the Word of God. There were two men named Hophni and Phinehas who were offering a substitute unto God. God would not accept it. King Saul brought back a substitute in 1 Samuel chapter number 15. Well, we're bringing back all these sheep that we were supposed to kill, but we're going to offer them as a sacrifice unto God. God didn't accept that sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice, the Bible tells us. Just doing what God says. Fourthly, because I'm out of time, turn back to Matthew 27. What's the fourth thing Pilate tried to do? The first thing that he tried to do is he tried to do nothing. Perhaps that's you today. The second thing that he tried to do is he tried to get somebody else to make the choice for him. But that didn't work. Christ just kept coming back. Every time he would try to do something, Christ would come back. He came back a third time and he says, I know what, I'll get Barabbas and certainly... And that didn't work. So then finally, what's the fourth thing that Pilate tried to do? He tried to wash his hands of the whole thing. He tried to remove any guilt from himself. The Bible says, Matthew 27, verse 24, When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Question. Did this alleviate Pilate from his original question? What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? Did this little ceremonial cleansing that he went through alleviate him from the responsibility that he had as a sinful man to accept or to reject Christ? Did this somehow purify him from the choice that he had to make? Not at all. So I submit to you, what is Pilate thinking about in hell today? I believe what haunts him, one of the things that haunts him the greatest is his own words. His own words. What? 
shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? Everything that Pilate tried to do did not work. Did not work. Listen, I don't believe it's any mistake that you're here today. For whatever reason, you're here. And I just ask you this question. What have you done with Jesus, which is called Christ? Have you trusted him? As you sit here today, if you were to die today or Jesus were to come, what would that mean for you? Do you know with certainty, according to the scriptures, what that would mean for you? If you don't, then I'm, I want to say I'm like Moses today. I'm just Moses in this particular way. That Moses presented two things to the people. He said, I bring before you death and life. And then he had enough compassion and love for his people to say, choose life. Choose life. Why would you not want to choose life? If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, if I ask you young people, do you know the Lord today? And you look to your parents, that concerns me and it should concern you. Are you offering a substitute? The fact that you feel like you're a good person or it makes me cringe when I hear people say, well, I've just always kind of felt saved. I was born in a Christian home. Well, you could be born in an oven, but that doesn't make you a pan of biscuits. You're not born saved. You're born lost. You're born lost. If you point to a baptistry or you point to the Lord's table for the fact that you're saved, that should concern you. It's amazing to me the people who walk, who come to, who, who come to great churches who still don't have nailed down yet. I wish... <laughs> I know my wife... Uh, just, it's just a very emotional thing for her, but your pastor asked me to share her testimony downstairs. And he asked, Brother Wiley, would you like to do it or would Karen like to do it? And I, I knew what the answer would be. But almost her whole life, my wife has struggled with that. She was a preacher's kid. Whole life. I was pastor of Churchill Baptist. For about 10 years before my wife got saved. What a joyous time that was. When I'm now at peace with God, I'm at peace with Him. And again, we don't believe in Baptist retreads. There's no such thing as being re-saved. No such thing. John 3 is very clear. You're only born physically once. And all mothers say, amen, hard enough one time. You're only born physically one time. You're only born spiritually one time. Only once. So there's nothing, being re-saved, there's no such thing. No such thing. And I want to be very clear with that. But I would just compel you to think about that question. If you're truly saved... That question is very easy to answer. 
What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called the Christ? I've trusted Him. He's my Savior. That's a very quick response. It's a natural response for a child of God is to say, He's my Savior. This is when it happened. But there may be some here that can't say that. And I just compel you today, once again, today is the day. Today. I'm not trying to scare anybody, although it should be a very sobering thing about whether you're ready to meet God. Very sobering thing. So whether you're a teenager, a child, or an adult, I'd compel you to answer that question right now. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? and?